Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. That's found on page 772, if you'd like to follow along in the Bibles there provided in the pews. Let's raise it up all the way, please. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. So what just happened? What did we just see these, these folks do, these young people, these children do? Um, it's pretty awesome to think about. We're going to take a look at an event that happened back in the very first days. We're going to look at the birth of the church, and we're going to see what happened as this, this group, this supernatural community was birthed. So if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, we're going to, we're going to see what that community looks like. But I'd like for us to actually begin in verse 36. Because I'd like for us to see that, that there was a group of people that experienced the same thing that we just witnessed in people getting baptized. And we get to see as they're joined to this community what happens to them. Last week we looked at John chapter 17. We saw that Jesus actually prayed for what we saw here today. He prayed for what he sees here now. A community of people brought together. He said, Father, I, I want to pray that you would glorify me. John 17 says, glorify me. Let me have the glory back that I had with you before the world existed. Because he wasn't just a man. He was a man, but he's also God. Amazing. And then he also said, I want to pray for these disciples that are here in front of me. The, the disciples that were close to him, the apostles. And he said, Father, protect them and make them one as we're one. And then he says... He goes on and he says, and I'm going to pray for those that believe because of their message. That's you and that's me. And he prayed for us in that room. And his dying wish was that we would be one as the Father is one. And that we get to experience the glory that he had and the, the love that he has for us and for his son. And, and we get to be one and experience all that. And in Acts 2, we get to see the beginning of the answering to Jesus' prayer. And so if you're familiar with Acts chapter 2, this is the story of Pentecost. You see the, the disciples, they were praying and waiting. Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit, the person. God the Holy Spirit would be sent down from heaven. He would come and, and live inside of his people. A unique new experience that the church had never, God's people had never experienced before. And the Spirit came down and indwelt in these disciples, and they started to do things that were absolutely amazing. They started to, to preach the good news about Jesus, the gospel, in languages that they'd never learned before. It'd be like me stepping in front of a crowd of Korean people, and I don't know a word of Korean, and all of a sudden I could speak Korean in a, in a way that they fully understand. I mean, this is miraculous stuff that was happening. And so people started to believe. And Peter gathers the, the group together because they're wondering, what in the world is going on? This is amazing. And he addresses them and he preaches to them the good news about Jesus. The same man who denied Jesus three times is now empowered to speak the good news. And so he speaks and he preaches that Jesus is God, Lord, and Messiah. If you're here today and you don't know this gospel, if you don't understand this faith that was put on display, this faith that was made visible through the waters of baptism, we want you to know that message. Jesus, Jesus is God, Lord, and Messiah, meaning he's the promised king and savior of his people. Then you must understand that Jesus died on the cross for sins and rose from the dead. That was the next part of, of Peter's message. 
And then he goes on to say forgiveness of sins and, and new life in the Spirit are offered to those who trust in Jesus. And then we're going to see the response here. Let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. Peter's finishing his sermon. He says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Wow, what an indictment. <laughs> you crucified him. And you crucified this man, Jesus, but the Father has made him both Lord and Messiah. Verse 37 of Acts chapter 2 says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. We call that conviction. They were cut to the heart. They recognized their guilt. They recognized their shame. They recognized their uncleanness. They recognized the fact that the, the, the Lord and Messiah and God that they should have been bowing down to that was in their midst, they took that God-man and they crucified him. They were cut to the heart. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, verse 37. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What have we done? You're telling us this message. What, what, do you, what should we do? How should we respond to this? And Peter goes on to say in verse 38, Repent. Repent. Turn from your rebellion against God and give your loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus. Repent and be baptized. And he's not saying that you have to be baptized in order to be forgiven because there's nothing about this water, friends. I touched it. It's very warm, but it's just regular water. It's the same kind of water that you use to brush your teeth and take a shower with. There's nothing special about it. But what it signifies, what this baptism just did for these folks that got baptized, it made something happen, the invisible part of repentance and trusting in Jesus in their heart. That's invisible, and baptism made it visible. Baptism is the way that we could see what's happened. It's like wearing a wedding ring. I wasn't wearing my wedding ring for quite a while. I actually needed to get it resized. And it felt weird. I didn't have it on for a few months because I was lazy. And so <laughs> I didn't have it on for a few months and, and I'm walking around and it feels weird to me because I want everybody to know that I'm married to the most beautiful woman on the planet, right? And I want them to know that. But it, it doesn't mean that I wasn't married when I had the ring off. But it's a symbol. It's a sign to show everybody that I'm married. And so what's happened here and what was happening for these early believers was Peter was saying, repent, which is invisible, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, verse 38, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, verse 39, and your children and for all who are far off, far off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Jesus is calling. We just sang it. And he's called some young people and some students. And they experienced something invisible that happened in their heart. I think it was Lorenzo that said, I was laying in my bed. I was looking at the ceiling. Tears running down my face. And he said, Jesus, I trust in you as my Lord and Savior. That was something that was invisible that was going on in his heart. I mean, maybe you've seen the tears, but the faith is invisible. And he and along with his friends and others, they've made that visible here today. Verse 40, with, with many other words, he being Peter, warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Look at what happens. Verse 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. They made visible what was invisible, what was going on in their hearts, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. I mean, could you imagine? Let's just sit here for a while. Let's just watch them one by one. 3,000 come through. Can you believe that? These are the first believers. This is the birth. 
This is the first answer to Jesus' prayer that we saw last week about supernatural community. And I want to tell you today, if you're visiting with us, if you're here today, a friend or family, or you're brought by a neighbor or somebody, and you've seen this that's happened here today, and, and you're not a part of this supernatural community, you can be today. Now, you see, walking into these doors and into this room doesn't make you a part of the supernatural community. It just makes it that you're a part of our service today, and you're sitting here, and that's great. But when you're joined to Jesus, when you turn from your rebellion, you give your loyalty to him and all of your trust to save you and to forgive you of your sins and to give you eternal life. And then you make that inward decision, that commitment, that faith, you make it visible through baptism. You can be a part of this community, this supernatural community. And that's what we've been looking at. Last week we saw that supernatural community was the dying wish of Jesus. He said, Father, make them one. And this week, we're going to see another aspect of supernatural community. You see, uh, God was creating this supernatural community. We can't create it. We can't manufacture it. And the reason we're going through this two-part series right now is because we're starting small group sign-up here today. And maybe as you walk through our lobby out in the, in the, through the center doors, you saw some tables set up and some, some clipboards out with some lists. We're asking you, hey, come, come sign up and join a small group. But, but the best advertisement to give you isn't a program it's not just a strategy. This is an invitation to partake of supernatural community. And many of us, we, we've been a part of groups before, or maybe you've heard about groups in churches, and they get together, and they study the Bible, and they learn a lot of information, and they close in prayer, and they go home. I've been a part of, you ever been a part of a group like that? Those are groups are great because you can learn a lot of information. But what I, I would propose to you from the early believers, we're going to look at it, is something so much more than Bible study. Something so much more than just filling in a blank with an answer. Something so much more than, than learning a Bible verse, as important as those things are. Something so much deeper and richer than just having a Bible study. It's experiencing supernatural community. God desires so much more from us than just a holy huddle. He desires us to experience transformation in supernatural community. So let's see what these first believers, these people. Now just imagine, 3,000 have come out of the baptismal tank. Now, what difference does it make in their lives? Let's take a look. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this. They, early believers, those that were baptized, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow, the word of the Lord. A description of early first moments, brand new birth, supernatural community. And this was their experience. Friends, I, I'd propose to you today, this isn't just a description of what they experienced, but it's laid out to us by the author of this book of Acts, the human author, the, the, uh, Luke, the doctor, but also by the Holy Spirit to show us what it looks like to live as a community of people that have been transformed by the gospel. The power of the gospel completely transformed the lives of these first believers in Jesus Christ. 
and their God's examples to show us how we're to live in His supernatural community. Well, let's check out what did these believers devote themselves to? What were they devoted to? Well, first of all, as we see in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. To the apostles' teaching. Well, what does that mean? What, what's an apostle? Well, an apostle was one of the foundational leaders of the church who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and proclaimed the gospel. They were one of the foundational leaders of the church. They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they proclaim this message. They proclaim this message. We think of men like Peter, James, John, Andrew, the other, the other of the twelve. Eventually, Paul saw the risen Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he was also declared an apostle. And these men, they were, they were eyewitnesses, and that's so important, friends. So important for us to understand. We don't have a faith that's just based on some sort of mystery, some sort of leap of, of faith and hope, some sort of thing where we close our eyes and just hope like Indiana Jones that something is there that's going to catch us. No, we believe in something that was visible and tangible. These men met with Jesus and they followed him through Judea and Galilee for three years and they saw him teach and do many signs and wonders. They saw him die on a cross and they heard, they touched, they saw, they ate with, they prayed with, they sang with the risen Jesus Christ. We don't believe in a phantom. We don't believe in a ghost. I love what Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. He says this, I delivered to you as of first importance that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, that He appeared to Peter and the other disciples, and last of all, as the one untimely born, He appeared to me, says Paul, and He appeared to more than five hundred eyewitnesses all at once. And at the time of Paul's writing, he says, you could go and knock on their door. You can go give them a text or look, look them up, call them on the phone. Go check them out. They saw him. They saw him. Friends, I want you to know today, if you're wavering about this Christian faith, if you're not so sure, well, if God would just give me a sign, if he would just show me something, if he could give me an audible voice, maybe then I'll believe. If you don't believe, look at the witnesses, 500 witnesses of a risen Lord, and that's this apostolic message that we have. Jesus is alive. He's alive. He's risen. They believed and they saw, they were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they began to proclaim his message and bear witness to his resurrection. So what's the message of the apostles? Well, first of all, it was a verbal message. And we see it right there in Acts chapter 2. Peter standing before the crowd and he delivers to them verbally the message of the good news of Jesus Christ. That he's, he died for sins, that he rose from the dead, that he's God, Lord, and Messiah. And that by repenting and by making your faith visible through baptism, you could be forgiven and you could have the gift of the Holy Spirit and you could be brought into this community. That was a verbal message that he shared. And so the apostles started to go all around. And the story of the book of Acts is their journeys to go. And, and they're going all around the place in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And they're sharing verbally good news. 
And so that was the apostolic message, but it's also a message that they, that they preached from the Old Testament, the books in the Bible from Genesis to Malachi. They didn't have the New Testament yet. And so they actually would show from the Old Testament scriptures that Jesus is the central theme. He is the one that's promised. He is the one that's declared and prophesied that would come and rescue his people from their sins. And he, they, she, they showed people, look, look, do you see these promises? It was fulfilled in this Messiah and Lord that we saw. So the apostolic message we understand is the way that they understood the Old Testament scriptures centralized on Jesus Christ himself. And finally, the apostolic message it's not verbal, just verbal any longer. We have it written down in the pages of the New Testament. Matthew to Revelation. You see, they understood that this message had to outlive their physical lives. And so the Holy Spirit guided them as they wrote down in letters and in gospels for us to have today the apostolic message. Friends, the supernatural community commits themselves to an apostolic message. Praise be to God that we have the apostolic message here. You see, we're not devoted to the teachings of Dr. Philip Howard. Praise be to God. He's delivered to us faithfully for nearly 48 years from this pulpit and across the way and all over this county, the apostolic message from the Word of God. We're Valley Bible Church. We're devoted to the apostolic message of Jesus Christ and His goodness and His faithfulness to deliver His people. Yes, praise be to God. Come on out on October 13th. We're going to celebrate God's goodness through Pastor Phil Howard as he shared with us the apostolic message. This wasn't made up by somebody in a, in a little room and some sort of angelic vision. And this, was, this was given to us as apostles saw the risen Lord. So where do we get the apostolic message today? As we, as we gather in this supernatural community, as we gather in small groups, we are going to commit ourselves to the gospel. We're going to commit ourselves to the scriptures. And it's not just a list of facts. In fact, in Paul, Roman, uh, Paul in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is not just a list of facts, but it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. As we get in our supernatural communities and we break open these scriptures, which reveal to us the apostolic testimony about Jesus Christ, there's something powerful happening. This word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. I get encouraged. You get encouraged. My, when my faith is weak, you, you help me and point me to this message, and it picks me up. When you're down, I point you to this apostolic message, and it picks you up. It strengthens our faith. It purifies us. It guides us. It comforts us. And so as long as we live in supernatural community, we're going to devote ourselves to the message. Devote ourselves to the message. That's what these first believers did. They got baptized and they devoted themselves to the apostolic message of the scriptures. They, uh, well, the apostolic teaching. The scriptures and the verbal teaching. That's the first thing. The message of the apostles. Well, the first believers devoted themselves to that, but then secondly, they shared everything. They were sharing, devoting themselves to sharing everything. And I was thinking, I was like, well, maybe they need, we need a list here. What were the kinds of things they were sharing? As I went on and looked through Acts and saw how they were sharing life together, they did. They shared everything together. Nothing was off limits. It says in Acts 2.42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. To fellowship. What is fellowship? We use that word, but what's a fellowship, right? It's a close association. It's a, a close 
intimate relationship. It's a participation or a partnership. It's, it's a sharing of not just of things, but of life with each other. It's having a, a fellowship or a sharing or a participation about what we believe and, and how we feel and what we love. We may not agree about everything. We may come from a thousand different backgrounds, but we fellowship around Jesus Christ and around this truth. We love Him together. We're devoted to Him together. We're committed to obey Him together. And I love that these young men and women today, there's a commonality with us, a fellowship. We've gone through the waters of baptism. We've made our faith together visible, and now we have fellowship with one another. We're a part of this supernatural community together. You've displayed today that you want to follow Jesus with your life, and those of us here that have gone through the same thing say, yes, we are together now. We're on mission to follow Jesus together. It's fellowship. Yes. Praise be to God. But they shared everything together, these, these believers. Turn over, if you would, just a page to Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Now, see, it has to start with the sharing of this invisible faith, this trust in Jesus, this devotion to Him. But then it, it comes out, friends. It comes out in our supernatural community. Take a look at Acts 4, 32. It says, All the believers... And you could go back to that 3,000. All the believers and more were, in, were one in heart and one in mind. They shared a, a common love, a partnership in, in desires, a partnership in, in mission and purpose. And then it came out. Look at this. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. That's amazing. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses, they sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I mean, this is true Christian supernatural fellowship. This, this means that, that there, were, there were those within this supernatural community, some that were poor and had hardly anything, and some that were actually very wealthy and had a lot. But what happened here is that it wasn't coerced, it wasn't by obligation. There were those that they recognized, we share something deep in common. We share a devotion to Jesus Christ. And because of that, I see that you're in need. I've got other lands and other houses across town or out of the county or across the state. You know, I'm not using them. I'd rather liquidate those assets and give the resources to you so that you won't be in need any longer. This is what supernatural community looks like. And right now, you could hear a pin drop in this room. This is so weird and foreign to us. This isn't the American dream. This is the Jesus dream. It's not the dream that says accumulate more for myself. It's saying I'm going to accumulate so that all my needs are met. And if I have anything left over, I want to share with those that I'm in fellowship so that no one has any need. This is beautiful. This is amazing. This is supernatural. What kind of motivation would cause people to live this way? God does. God does. This is God's plan to care for His people. 
It's not the pastors and elders and deacons, although they take leadership of it. It's us, friends. It's us. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We feel it. We feel it. One of the things that breaks my heart more than anything, and the elders are much more keenly aware of this. They hear of the needs even more than I do. But we hear of someone that's in crisis, someone that's in need. They just got a, a, a difficult diagnosis. They just heard that their, their marriage is in deep trouble. They just got laid off from a job. And they're hurting. They're hurting. They're in need. And then we wonder... Who's going to meet that need? And, and I look around and I go, what can I do? And it breaks my heart when, when, when just a few of us try to do whatever we can to help them out. And yes, we have an agape fund here in our budget that those of you that contribute to that, if, if there's financially something that we could do to support them, we do that. But I'll tell you what, what's the most glorious thing that happens around here. When there's a need, it's not the pastors and the elders and leadership. We don't hear about it when the person has the need. We find out about it way after. You see, that, that person, when they, when they got into that crisis, they've been involved in a small group. They've been involved in a supernatural kind of community that when the need was raised with that community of people, that, those people rallied together and they said, what can we do to help you? They wept with them. They prayed with them. They brought them meals when they were sick. They helped provide money and resources to help them get through a tough time until that job was found. And we find out about it after the fact, and that person's still hurting, but they're saying, my group has loved me, and I've felt something amazing that I've never felt anywhere else, a community of people that care for me and shepherd me and love me even when I go through the valley of the shadow of death. This is the kind of supernatural community that God's called us to. We share everything together. We live together. We support each other. This is so much more than a Bible study, friends. This is a supernatural community committed to the message of the apostles, committed to sharing everything together. And thirdly, let's take a look at Acts 2.42 again. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, which we just looked at, sharing everything together. And then it goes on to say, to the breaking of bread. To the breaking of bread. Now, what is that? What is the breaking of bread? Well, several centuries later, after this first century stuff, uh, the breaking of bread came to be synonymous with taking the Lord's Supper, or communion as we know it, or if you're from other church traditions, you've heard it called the Eucharist and whatnot. So it's that special ceremony, that symbol that, that shows us our remembering Jesus Christ's death and, and resurrection and sacrifice for us. And I think that certainly was included in what they're doing as they break bread together. Jesus said the night before he was, uh, the night he was betrayed and, and before he was tried, he said, this is my body for you, offered for you. And he broke the bread and he gave it to them. Eat this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he offered, he said, drink this in remembrance of me as a memorial to my sacrificial bloody death on the cross. And he said to do that. And so, so, the early disciples do that, but I think there's something even more deep and more rich. You see, a lot of these believers, in fact, most of the believers at this time, they were Israelites. They were Jewish. 
And for them to, to, to break bread together was something that they did commonly. They did it all throughout the Jewish calendar. There were feasts and festivals where they would get together, especially at Passover. At the Passover, they would get together, they'd break and eat unleavened bread together, they'd roast the lamb and eat that. And that was to signify and point them back as they celebrated and ate that meal together, God's deliverance of them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and deliverance from Pharaoh. They remember how God delivered them in the Exodus. And they had meals. And they celebrated God's goodness. I've been in Israel when they've celebrated some of these festivals. And, and some of them are so high and wonderful and joyful and beautiful. They know how to celebrate God's goodness. And so as we look at this and we see that they were breaking bread together, I think this is what they have in mind. A, a communal eating together. And an eating that's not just merely going through the... See, us as Americans, we like to eat and we just get it done with and we move on. That this community, they ate together and it meant something very deep. They were celebrating God's goodness. Eating together and celebrating His goodness and His deliverance. Take a look at Isaiah 25 with me for just a moment. Isaiah 25. Now, Isaiah is sharing and he's talking about... A, a time when, when God is going to deliver his people in the kingdom of God. When he's going to deliver them and he's going to wipe away every final enemy. You see, the Israelites, they were used to celebrating God's goodness and deliverance. But there came along a new covenant, a new promise that one day God would finally defeat all of his enemies and he would deliver his people. And so we see that in Isaiah chapter 25. It begins by saying, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you've done wonderful things, things you planned long ago. You've made the city a heap of rubble, the fortified town a ruin, the foreigner's stronghold a city no more. It shall never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. You have been a refuge to the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm driving against a wall and like the heat of the desert. You silence the uproar of foreigners as heat is reduced by the shadow of a cloud so the song of the ruthless is stilled. On this mountain, speaking of Jerusalem, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare, listen, a rich, a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, that sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. You see, the Israelites, they got together and they would look back at what God had done for them and they'd have feasts and they'd enjoy great banquets, but they would do that in anticipation of one day, a greater day. And Jesus said, I'm giving you this bread right now. Take and eat of it. I'm giving you this cup to drink, but I want to let you know, I will not drink of this cup again until I drink of the fruit of the vine in my kingdom. You see, friends, the early disciples, the early believers, they were celebrating God's deliverance. We can say as 
followers of Jesus Christ, surely this is our God. We trusted in Him, and He saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in Him. Let us rejoice and be glad in His salvation. There's a party going on in heaven, according to Jesus, right now. We saw students and kids getting baptized, and when that happens, Jesus said there's a whole party in heaven by all the angels. Friends, I don't think we party enough. Yeah. I don't think we party enough. I don't think we party enough. And I'm talking talk, talk about how the world parties. You see, the way the world parties is they got to bring in a lot of booze, alcohol. they got to bring in drugs and sex and all kinds of different things into their environments because what they're craving is something that says, this is the best the world has to offer. Let us eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we could party without all that garbage and we could say, I'm in my right mind. I'm celebrating God's deliverance through the cross of Jesus Christ. And one day I look forward to eating and feasting with Him in the kingdom of God. We have a reason to party. We have a reason to rejoice. We, I, I loved it. Last night we were at a father-daughter dinner and dance across the parking lot in the Family Life Center. And it was beautiful to see dads and daughters and surrogate fathers who've ad- kind of adopted these young ladies and, and, and to see us dancing and eating and celebrating. And I couldn't get over the thought that one day this is just a foretaste of the kingdom of God when God with His people, with our Lord Jesus Christ, we celebrate forever and ever. His goodness to us. We've got more reason to be happy. We've got more reason to be joyful. We've got more reason to have hope. We should show the world what it means to truly party because of Jesus Christ. We're eating together, celebrating God's goodness and His deliverance. I want to tell you, if you're going to be a part of a small group this fall or if you're a leader, have a ball. Have a blast. Go have fun together. Go out to the park and have a barbecue. Go to the movies. Go watch the Super Bowl together. I mean, don't just do those things, but have a ball. Show this world that we could party in purity and wholesomeness, knowing that it's just a foretaste of the kingdom of God. That's what this community was doing. That's what these early believers were doing. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. It, it says down in the middle of verse 46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. When we eat together, it's so much deeper than just a meal. It's a celebration of God's deliverance and a foretaste of the glory we get to share in God's kingdom. The first believers devoted themselves first to the message of the apostles. Then they devoted themselves to sharing everything. Thirdly, they were eating together and celebrating God's goodness and deliverance. And then fourthly, it says in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it's not just to prayer. There's actually a definite article in front of, so you would read it literally, and they devoted themselves to the prayers, the prayers. And it's believed that there could have been a particular type of prayer that they were praying. Certainly it involved, hey, pray for me. I just twisted my ankle or stubbed my toe or my grandma's really sick or my car won't start. Certainly I believe God cares about the everyday needs of those around us. But I believe that there's a, a more specific type of prayer that became 
habitual and became the pattern of the way they prayed. Take a look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23 to 31. Just turn over. Acts 4, 23 to 31. Now Peter and John, they were proclaiming the good news in the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders. They brought them in, they disciplined them, they said, hey, you need to knock it off. And then they released them after they beat them. And, and it's amazing, in verse 23 of Acts 4, it says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, those, the believers, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Listen to this prayer. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now listen to their, their request. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. After they prayed, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This is the kind of prayers that they were devoting themselves to. It was the kind of prayers that were according to God's mission for them. They were praying, God, we know that there's so much opposition. The Jewish leaders want us to stop. The Romans hate us. There's some of us that have lost fathers and sisters and mothers and spouses and children because they don't want to be associated with the follower of Jesus any longer. And it wasn't a woe is me prayer. It was a prayer saying, Lord, give us greater boldness to fulfill the mission that you've called us to do. This is the kind of prayers of the supernatural community. It's not just prayers for themselves, but it's prayers for a lost and dying world that's surrounding them. It's a prayer that says, please give us boldness, give us faith, give us courage in the face of all kinds of opposition. Help us when we meet in small groups. Lord, I pray that you'd help us so that we'd be emboldened so that no matter we face uh, opposition from coworkers, classmates, neighbors, friends, family, please give us boldness and strength to continue to proclaim the message to those that we meet every single day. I don't know about you, but I lose faith fast when I face opposition. You probably lose faith fast or feel tempted to it when you face opposition on the, in the workplace, when you face opposition at home. Oh, to be in a supernatural community together for people to surround you and pray together. Give us more boldness. Give us more boldness, Father. Listen to Paul's prayer in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Paul said, Pray. Pray for boldness in the midst of opportunities. Pray for wisdom to know how to answer every single person that asks you. Pray, pray. These were the kinds of prayers that the early supernatural community was praying for. And at the end of verse 47, back in Acts chapter 2, it says these people, these early believers, 
They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And here's the result. The Lord, at, Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Take a look for a moment, if you would. Look to your left and look to your right. You could see out there, there's a few people in the back. Hey, everybody. There's not too many people in these outside sections. I, I'm praying and I'm hoping. And I hope that you're praying and you're hoping that as the result of us living in supernatural community, that God would add to our numbers daily those who are being saved. Free, friends, make no mistake, we're not about numbers here at Valley Bible Church, but we are about seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. I believe that as we live in this supernatural community, as we commit ourselves to the teaching of the apostles, as we share everything together, as we pray for each other, as we love each other, as we eat and celebrate God's goodness, that there could be numbers added to our congregation, to our gathering daily, those who are being saved, that we'll keep, we won't even drain, the, well, we need to drain it because it needs to be clean, but we want to keep this thing full all the time. Fill it up, fill it up. Every day we got baptisms. People are being added to our, our family because of this supernatural community. The earliest Christians were living out the oneness that Jesus had prayed for in John 17. This unity, it didn't come naturally. Rather, to the indwelling spirit whom they received when they believed the gospel, these Christ followers were empowered to live in supernatural community. We too are a part of the same family. Following their example, we're called to devote ourselves to the message of the scriptures, which is the message of the apostles, to sharing all we are and all we have with each other, to eating in celebration of God's salvation, and to praying according to his priorities. As we live out this supernatural lifestyle, the church will be built up, and the world will be compelled to believe the message we speak through the community we display. So I want to ask you, is this the kind of community that we're experiencing here at Valley Bible? Praise be to God that we got to enjoy this service here in Rose, but I want to invite you, why don't you circle up in a small group this fall? Circle up in a small group. The program will not do anything for you, but when we commit ourselves to these things, I believe God will allow us to experience supernatural community, and souls would be saved. Souls would be saved. I invite you today, as you walk out those doors, we've got all kinds of groups for you. All kinds of environments where you can experience, uh, whether with men or with women, all kinds of life stages. We want you to connect with a group of people that will devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to sharing everything, to celebrating and eating according to God's goodness and his salvation, and praying to make the most of the opportunity with boldness to share the faith. For those of you here today that have, have never put their faith in Jesus, what's holding you back today? What's holding you back today? Why don't you come be a part of this, this beautiful community and share with us God's goodness and celebrate his salvation. If you'd like to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we've, we're going to have some people down here. We want to pray with you and ask you and help you think through, do I want to follow Jesus? And for those of you that are, take the step of faith. Go join a community and experience God's goodness and his grace so that the world would see that this is a place of people that only God could assemble together. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you answered Jesus' prayer in these early believers. They came, they heard, they saw the good news of Jesus Christ. They were baptized and they were ushered into a supernatural community. 
a community unlike anything else on the entire planet. And they committed themselves to some things. Father, I pray that as, as groups prepare to meet, as we continue to meet here in our Sunday gatherings, and as we meet in our small groups and homes and other places, oh, Father, keep us committed and devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the teaching of the scriptures. Keep us committed to fellowshipping and sharing everything we are and everything we have with each other. I pray that there would not be a need that's unmet in the church this coming year because people are connected in supernatural community with people who love and care for them. Oh, Father, I pray that you would show us that we have a reason to rejoice and celebrate rather than anybody else, better than anybody else on the whole planet, that we could eat and celebrate your goodness to us. And Father, we're asking right now, please, please help us, embolden us, give us strength and courage to go as we scatter now at the end of this service that we would go and make the best of every opportunity to share the good news with those who need it. And even if we face opposition, Father, give us great, great boldness. We love you. I pray a blessing. Please bless those here in attendance today. Save some, send us out, and I pray that our groups would experience the kind of supernatural community that Jesus prayed for. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us here today. You're dismissed. Go and make the most of every opportunity. Sign up for a small group.